Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. We have news tonight about the sixth migrant child to die after being detained by border authorities. This time, a 10-year-old girl from El Salvador who died back in September, and only now are we learning about her. If you refer to immigrants as an infestation, as the president has, if you promote bigoted stereotypes about their unique depravity and talk about them as a nefarious band of infiltrators, you will promote the conditions for cruelty as surely as effect follows cause. There is a body count to the president's rhetoric now, and unless something changes, it is going to grow. All right, so let's take you through the plus minuses. Impeachment has upsides. Like what? Well, potentially, it could be the best way to get you the information you deserve so that you can decide if there were an actionable abuse of power here by the president. Impeachment proceedings may also accelerate some of the legal battles that this president is throwing up all over the place as challenges. The AG is already held in contempt. Don McGahn may be next. Let's see what happens with Hicks and Mueller. But on the other hand, Democrats just got a big decision against the president's tax prep people pretty quickly, which leads many Democrats to say this. Our uh, process is working well and will not be disturbed. Let's just keep grinding it out. We'll win it. The grind takes time. Even if Clyburn is right, win when? In time for the election? No guarantee. And if they swing, they have to deliver. All right, take a look at these polls. 69% of Democrats say they want impeachment. But what they really want, they likely won't get, which is removal. So going through the effort and not delivering could cost them with this group and many beyond. Takes us to the second poll. When you talk all Americans, that please impeach number drops to 37%. All right. So you see in a split. And that split is why you're hearing stuff like this. The president of the United States of America needs to be impeached. You don't need impeachment um, at all to be able to move forward with the, the investigation. All right. So you got exposure. You got some legal advantage. Pluses, minuses. You got to look at the political reality because it's an unknown. All right. And there is a real risk of making the bully in this so far, this president, look like a victim if you overreach in the name of oversight, like he keeps saying. This never happened to any other president. They're trying to get a redo. They're trying to get what we used to call in school a deal, a do-over. Maybe that's what he used to call it in school when he was at Fordham. Before he went to Wharton, he called it a do-over. But that's not what it is. It's a redo. It's a different standard. This is not about beyond a reasonable doubt. It's about beyond what the country wants in a president. Gross abuse of power that disgusts enough of you to influence lawmakers. Tuition or food? How the rising cost of college is actually forcing some students to make hard choices. And what, if anything, can be done about it? There's a troubling trend developing. A new study shows tens of thousands of college students cannot afford basic needs, even things like food and rent. It's much more prevalent than you might think. The strong U.S. economy is a complete myth to many American college students. Temple University just surveyed over 100 institutions nationwide. And get this, around half of the students who responded said recently they literally could not afford meals or housing. Almost 20% had been homeless in the last year. Now on the campus of UC Irvine in Southern California, these are all students that are uh, lined up, but they're not lined up for class. They're lined up to get into 
this food pantry. Hannah used to keep her homelessness and hunger to herself, but now in a college environment, she's not alone. She's part of this center that assists food and housing insecure students. I think for a lot of folks watching, it's probably hard to sort of get your head around how it can be that these there's so many college kids who are struggling for food. And it's a pervasive issue, a systemic issue that's affecting people all across the country. What's the solution? I mean, how do we how do we fix this? I know that's a big question for this is economic inequality 101. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 25th of May, year of our Lord, 2019. And that intro was Chris Hayes saying the body count of Trump. This Obama shit's just insane. Cuomo impeached to find out what to impeach. NBC, strong economy. Fuck that shit. Fuck it. Yeah, there we are. Going to do a violent left today. A lot of... um, New abortion crazy, a lot of sound bites from the media, which I haven't really covered. A quick anti-Semitism, because Omar got on stage again and decided to say America sucks. And Tlaib uh, is linked to a bunch of terrorists. We're going to do a little transgender shit, a little anal sex thing, because I ran into something this uh, last three days that's just unbelievable. The lack of morals on the progressive side of the political spectrum Wait till you see what the first thing Google sent back. We're going to close with the worst thing I heard all day from Gloria Allred. And we're going to have a little Pelosi video that Trump decided to tweet. And now the media is all about doctored videos. Like they always are when it's the left. But Anderson Cooper will show you. Well, it's my thesis statement. How shitty the media is. Because we're heavy, I had a soundbite from CBS. Somebody saying, I think it'd be great to dump milkshakes on conservatives. I'm not going to play it because I'm going to see where this goes. But something happened in Scotland where they dumped milkshakes on conservatives. Burger King, dear people of Scotland, we're selling milkshakes all weekend. Have fun. Love BK. And when people said, hey, yeah, 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 that's inciting violence, they said, uh, we never endorse violence or wasting our delicious milk site, so enjoy the weekend. But some little intern prog piece of shit decided to go ahead and go all in, which uh, Burger King's been doing lately, and say, hey, that's great. Let's bring it to America, because that's what um, basically CBS was saying. Fuck conservatives. They have no rights to freedom, because they don't think like us. But the best thing was Avanti. I'm going to play... Two sound bites. You're going to hear Avante, a wah 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 sound, and then CNN just totally surprised that Avante is going to jail. And you know what? I owe Michael Avenatti an apology. For the last couple of weeks, I've been saying, enough already, Michael. I've seen you everywhere. What do you have left to say? I was wrong, brother. You have a lot to say. The Democrats could learn something for you. You are messing with Trump a lot more than they are. With Abadati, who, who has done a uh, you know, fascinating legal job and political job here at the same time since he's taken on the Stormy Daniels case and has had some success and failure in the courtroom, but had a tremendous amount of success in the public sphere. L- lately, to me, you're like the Holy Spirit. You are. Oh. <laughs> but he has a great, bigger calling here. That being a lawyer is minimal compared to what he's doing. The priesthood? What a- Whatever. He's out there saving the <laughs> Look, country. Rudy Giuliani did something today that Donald Trump has not dared to do. Rudy Giuliani insult, insulted Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti is a beast. 
Okay, that's true. And he, he's a beast. He's a beast, and he keeps popping Donald Trump and all of his folks in the mouth repeatedly. He's a beast, and yes. so. All right, we are back. We've got some breaking news involving Michael Avenatti. Let's go straight to our correspondent, Sarah Seidner, with the very latest. Sarah, what's the story? So a couple of things, uh, some things that people did not see coming. We knew that the Nike indictment would happen. This is the indictment by uh, the Southern District of New York on charges uh, that Michael Avenatti tried to extort Nike out of more than $20 million uh, in exchange, basically, uh, for not putting things out in the public uh, due to some, some issues that he says that Nike uh, was responsible for, basically dealing with athletes and trying to bribe athletes to go to certain schools that he accused Nike of. But this is new. This is something we had not yet heard. Uh, this coming out today uh, in the in the U.S. attorney's announcement uh, there in New York, he says that Michael Avenatti has also now been indicted on fraud and aggravated identity theft charges. Now, what that has to do with is the book deal that he helped broker for his client. You will recognize her name, Stormy Daniels. Uh, huh. You will remember... Stormy Daniels uh, was, you know, the news for a whole year as she brought forward uh, lots of allegations um, against Donald Trump and Michael Cohen. Um, and so she uh, basically, in this indictment, the, the U.S. attorney is saying, look, he told her literary agent, uh, had a signed piece of paper, um, and that signed piece of paper, he said that Stormy Daniels had signed it, apparently, uh, and uh, that the monies were to be given to him first uh, and put into an account of his um, in lieu of giving it straight to her somewhere around 140 thousand plus dollars uh, that was involved in this particular case and that that money was diverted to his account as opposed to being paid to you will also remember that a lot of the time uh, was also spent on networks like ours. He did a lot of publicity, a lot of talking about it. And I asked him, look, didn't you get as much out of this uh, as Stormy Daniels? Maybe not monetarily, but certainly publicity-wise. He said, yes, I got a lot of publicity, but that doesn't pay the bills. Uh, mm -hmm. So you hear there about money losses. The prosecutor is saying, yeah, he might have lost money. We don't know. What we do know is they're accusing him of taking money that was not supposed to be his and then being dishonest about it with Stormy Daniels. If you go to their website, CNN doesn't have it. You have Trump marks, walkout marks point, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine Trump is a piece of shit stories. But Hale Razor sums this up and why I'm doing it. Michael Avanti appeared on CNN and MSDNC over 120 times last year, but CNN can't find room for him now. Now, Chuck Ross. So not only did CNN and MSDNC give Avante a platform that he exploited to make more money, but they said they did nothing when he berated and intimidated their employees. Somebody said, hey, Brian Seltzer, I got a story idea. Another person sent a picture of a bunch of CNN people, including Don Lemon, with Avante. I got to meet, meet Avante. Pictures with Brian Seltzer. Drinking a cup of coffee. The day this broke, love him or hate him, Michael Avanti is a master of the media. 
Brian Seltzer defends past praise of Michael Avanti. With Michael Avanti facing charge of multiple states, WAPO's Eric Weppel went back and examined the reason for Avanti's cable news ubiquity, which has been intensely criticized by conservative media critics. Ooh, they're pouncing. I played a starring role in the free beacon mashup of TV outlets talking with Avanti, so Wimple asked me for the comment, and here's what I told him. There are a lot of lots of reasons why Avanti was newsworthy when he was representing Stormy Daniels. Journalists did their job and questioned him, some more effectively than others. Critics are doing their jobs and questioning the coverage, and that makes us all better. But bad faith argument make us all worse. Some folks have been distorting my comments last September about Avanti. My thesis back then, which still holds, is that all future presidents will be television stars. TV star power will be a prerequisite for the presidency. That's why I told Avanti, one reason I'm t- taking you seriously as a contender is because of your presence on cable news. Obviously, I'm not taking him seriously anymore. But I own that comment. He showed a Trump-like mastery of the media. But Trump! David Ruiz. If I may, Brian Seltzer, the video wasn't about media folks talking with Avanti, but rather boosting him, or at times breathlessly praising him. Certainly he was a significant newsmaking person, but he was also a clear potterson with an agenda. That was the point. Avanti appeared on CNN and MSDNC 108 times between March and May of last year, 254 times across all cable and network news between February 2018 and February 2019. It's likely that most, if not all, of these appearances were invites, not initiative. You loved him. You fucking loved him because he was anti-Trump. And he is a fucking crook. He stole for the woman that all of a sudden was mainstream, a porn star. Yeah. Hmm. Then we got this article, totally not political, but I had to cover it up front before we get into the serious shit. Netflix days are number. Not going to read it, but basically Forbes is talking, Forbes uh, is talking about Disney. Now, Disney is going to release a huge Disney Plus streaming platform. What that means for you, if you have kids or whatever, every Disney product is going to get yanked from Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. And the only way you're going to be able to see Disney products, which is a lot of shit, they own ABC, they own a lot of shit, folks, is if you go there. Now, the most important thing that they're doing on the outset, they're only charging $6.99. And I think it's $10 for streaming ad-free. And this will kill Netflix. And the article I stated, it was like 30% of their product, Netflix, is Disney-owned. Which brought me to, wow, what's happening to TV in this article? 28... 18 to 19 TV season rating, 90% of veteran broadcast shows fall in total viewers. In fact, only 10% of the 102 of veteran series increased or held steady with the 18 to 49 rating. That leaves 92 shows, just over 90%. The decline year-to-year in key and demographic. The declines range from minuscule four hundredths of a point for Sunday Night Football to a huge .75 drop for Will and Grace 
and having a majority of those declines by more than 10%. A few more veteran shows, 18 and all, were able to increase the total audience, so we're not going to go into it. But we will go into how bad things were. Now, some shows, like FBI, kicked ass. But we'll see in this, it looks like if you're an anti-Trump type thing, you're good to go. You're good to go. Uh, Top 20, football, overtime, football. The mass Singer literally had a 2.59 in the 49 rating. That's the dumbest thing ever. Big Bang, This Is Us, PC shit. Bachelor, Sheldon, America's Got Talent, The Voice, The World's Best. The Connors was number eight or 13, they say in the demo. But when you get into total viewers, it's not even on the map. And it's continuing. Do the math on that. Uh, things that I thought were great. Um, 911 is number 22 in the demo. Goldberg's 34, Last Man Standing is number 37. Remember, ABC cut Last Man Standing. FBI, 47. America's Funniest Video, 55, my favorite. Happy Together, a show that got canceled, but it wasn't anti-Trump. It it was number 60 of the top 150 shows, and they still got rid of it. Single Parents, good show. Christmas Light Fight, for those that are geeks like me, I love that show. I talk about it on the podcast. It was number 65. It's only on for six episodes. The Cool Kip kids. The kids are all right. We're number 67 and 69 respectively. They got booted, but Superstore by American Friera, who's a fucking anti-Trumper, it was the number 70 show. It wasn't even good, and it's staying on. Blue Blood 73, SEAL Team's number 78. Fresh Off the Boat, a crappy show because it went all LGBT. It's not even the top 100, but it's staying on. The code looks like it's going to make it. AP Bio, I don't know. It's one of my favorites. It's 114. Whiskey Cavalier, a show that me and my wife really liked. It's kind of geeky, but it's got the guy from the unit. Yeah, it was 105, and it looks like it's getting the boot. So then we go into uh, total viewers, not the demo, and it's pretty much the same setup. NCIS is number four. Football, the top. Uh, bang, bang, beep. Big Bang Theory is three, and then everything else is football. Uh, let me see. FBI is the number 10 show on TV. Blue Bloods is the number 13. You're not hearing any of the PC shit. The Connors is number 100. Last Man Standing is number 43. The Code's number 50. SEAL Team is the number 52 show. Thank God they brought it back. But they thought about it because it's a military show and they don't like military show. Goldberg's 54. Happy Together was number 60 and 67 was the cool kids. They both got canceled. Kids are all right. Number 75, it got canceled. Superstore is number 100 for total viewers. It's not even good. But somehow it stays on. Supergirl, number 133 and that piece of shit staying on. So, anyway. Bias comes in many forms, my friends. Conservative engineer exposes Google's liberal outrage culture. Google prides itself in to create a safe, politically nonpartisan, inclusive workplace for everybody but, but conservatives, according to one Google engineer. Conservative Google software engineer Mike Wacker published a scathing May 21st tell-on on Medium, describing the liberal insanity encountered on a daily basis. If I left unchecked, he wrote... 
These outraged mobs will hunt down any conservative, any Christian, any independent free thinker at Google who does not bow down to their agenda. He illustrated how fellow conservatives have been accused of making the workplace unsafe for praising University of Toronto academics like Jordan Peterson. He also revealed his argument with a Googler who in part of a self-described cult led by the former porn star. Wacker has been slammed as being hateful, incendiary, and inflammatory for observing how Google's values are hypocritical. He quipped that the definition of Google values that matter is that one used by Google activists, he added, could only be described as nonpartisan in the same sense that Women's March could be described as an inclusive towards pro-life Jewish women. The Women's March has been rocked by infighting in recent years. We already talked about it, blah, blah, blah. This was following blah, 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 blah. Okay, we're talking about the Damor failing, admitted to conspiracy against him. We need to make an example of Damor. The Post later mentions that they sought to control the narrative and planted stories with journalists and flex Google's muscles when necessary. Yeah, when the media lightly did it. This is done after multiple leaks and scandals ranging from their censorship enabling Dragonfly search engine to their employee outrage and cooperation with the U.S. military. Wacker commented that the person who accused them of being incendiary compared black conservatives who spoke at CPAC to Jews who spoke at Holocaust denial conference. He also recalled a heated exchange with liberal Googler Blake Lamone over intolerance of Christian beliefs at their company. Lamone has been described by the Daily Caller as belonging to a self-described cult led by a former porn star. He faced controversy after he called Republican Tennessee Senate Marshall Blackburn a terrorist. Lamone explained his loathing for Conservative Heritage Foundation President Kay Coles. James, who was a member of the Cancel Google AI Ethics Council, she believes and clearly states that the beliefs trans women are men invading women's spaces. And it goes on and on and on. And basically, this guy does a tell-all of what we already know. And we will see. In fact, you know, it goes better right here. So me and the wife are doing some searching, all right, about Truvia or whatever, that prep medicine. And as we're doing it, we're having a conversation. Not homophobic, just... The reality is, with this new medicine, they're finding that gay men, not lesbians, gay men, are having more and more unprotected sex. Over and over and over. Thus, STIs are increasing bacterial STIs. And it's actually, uh, I guess in the gay community, they called them uh, Truvia whores because these guys are going and having more rampant sex the agency that was pushing this in San Francisco was kind of handing it out like Tic Tacs for gay parades. And these guys were being unsafe. And AIDS is still a problem in the gay community. You don't hear about AIDS in the heterosexual. You don't hear about as much as the intravenous drug use. It's still in the gay community. It's still a very serious thing. So long-time gays or gays that are more um, responsible adults are saying regardless if you use this PrEP drug, you still need to have fucking rubbers. So the wife searches for, you know, what are the health risks for having anal sex? Now, I'm not approved. I understand people have many different types of sex. It's your world, do it. I'm not going all Christian up in here that we all should have sex missionary only. That's not what I'm saying. But there's got to be some inherent sex 
or inherent risk in having anal sex because you're talking about feces. Um, unbeknownst to most people who think porn is real, yeah, those people are doing colon cleanse, and it's a whole thing. I mean, I've watched interviews on YouTube of porn stars talking about all the stuff they have to do so they can have anal sex so people don't get fucking really sick. So I'm thinking, you know, hey, that's got to be gross, and the wife does a, a search. She shows me her phone, and you're asking, what does anal sex have to do with Google, Tony? Well, here it is. First return, Planned Parenthood. Can anal sex have any long-term effects on my body? And this article is basically saying, hey, it's okay. No, although most couples do not have anal intercourse, it could be perfectly healthy and safe in both the long and short term. This entire article is pointed towards kids. And it was Google's number one return. Number one. Now, for those that don't know, you pay to be number one. That's how you become number one. When I was with U.S. Calvary, we paid so that when somebody searched U.S. Calvary, you didn't get Calvary regiments in the army. You got U.S. Calvary. And as we started to go down the drain, we couldn't pay for that advertisement. So you started getting Brigade Quartermaster, uh, Patriot Outfitter, U.S. Patriots, because they were coming back and paying. We weren't, so we lost our slot, and we'd be lower on the risk. So the top ones are paid. I'm not stupid. But there's Google working with Planned Parenthood. Now, do you think of a Christian organization that pushed abstinence? Paid to say anal sex is evil and you shouldn't be doing it? That'd be the number one? No, you wouldn't. The number three, because the rest were gay groups, what are the risks of anal sex? Increased risk of bacteria's medical news today. You think that would be the number one return? Um, just to finish this point, how to or, or do it. Make sure you use condoms. Increased risk of STIs. Worsening hemorrhoids. Pregnancy, a common myth is that women cannot get pregnant as a result of having anal sex. That's not true because semen can get in there regardless. Uh, increased risk of fistula, a rare complication. Long-term risk, your anus falls the fuck off. Okay, that's not what it says, but I mean, seriously. It's not natural. It's not normal. It's not clean. Thus, of course, you're going to get some urinary tracts infections and all sorts of shit. But Google, which is the point, not to bash gay sex, they're with them. They're pushing this teenage article, it's okay, go fuck everybody in the ass. So just don't say Google's not part of the progressive complex. It is. Then lastly, We'll do a music break and head into our violent left. Yashar Ali, Twitter's permanently banned prominent anti-Trump brothers Brian and Ed Krasenstein, alleging that two of the biggest stars of resistance, Twitter and Broken the Site's rules, have operating fake accounts and purchasing fake interactions. They're saying they didn't do it. It was all the outrage. Uh, Twitter did make it as a Twitter moment. 
But they, once again, would just sit all day, and they worked for CNN and Dox people part-time, would just wait for Trump to tweet, and then they'd bash Trump. That was their whole modus operatus. And they had fake accounts. They had bought bots, as I read on a geeky article. And these bots would inflate their followers. And one of them had 900,000 plus, and another one had 670,000. And all the while, they were just breaking the rules. And I think under pressure of all the shit that's coming down on them, they relented and decided to fucking gank these guys. So I think that's very interesting. Very interesting. To a music break. And our violent left going straight in to the one soundbite I could find of a pro-life person being able to talk on CNN. Then the avalanche comes. I am the hose of the kings who are gone. Jenny would dance with her ghost. The ones she had lost and the ones she had found. The ones who had loved her the most. The ones who'd been for so very long She couldn't remember their names They spun her round On the damp old stone Spun away all her sorrow and pain And she never wanted to Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's why they call me Bad 
down there, we're gonna teach them all. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. Yeah. What are you focusing on on your program that you think is lost in the, mm. I'm going to use the word mainstream, even though mm-hmm, I hate the word, mm-hmm. the mainstream news coverage of this topic, you know, the nightly newscast coverage of this I know. Topic. We will be full of lots of things we need to cover. This week I plan to welcome a woman on the program who actually was conceived in rape. I have not been seeing a lot of coverage, any voices like hers. Um, So we will be bringing those kind of voices onto EWTN. And I do want to highlight one thing that I think is an egregious mistake I've been seeing in a lot of mainstream media. And again, I don't mean to uh, belittle or bully mainstream media. I don't think they are the bad guys, if you will. Um, But there's this egregious mistake that Alabama would incriminate women. And that is just not true at all. This was being pushed in groups like Business Insider, Glamour Magazine, but it's not true. Do you think they're misreading the bill? I think they're misreading the bill, maybe not reading it at all. I mean, it's only three pages, and it states it perfectly clear that women will not be incriminated. It would only be abortionists. Uh, what do you see from your audience about what they, they want to know more about? I mean, I, mm. I was looking at a poll from Pew from last September uh, asking whether abortion should be legal in most cases, mm-hmm. uh, in all or most cases. Even among Catholics, it's split there. 51% of Catholics saying it should be legal in all or most cases. Overall, in the United States, 58%. Do you sense that divide uh, within Mm. your broadcasting world? So I think EWTN viewers are particularly loyal Catholics and are attending Mass regularly um, and know that they need to prioritize life. When I hear back from viewers, they keep me on my toes. They are closely following pro-life legislation. And if I'm not able to um, cover one specific bill, they ask, hey, how come you haven't covered this? So they really do keep me on my toes, and they do prioritize life in the voting booth, absolutely. When you say prioritize life, though, I I think Mm -hmm. what what others others hear about that is they're, they're so focused on the 40 weeks of a pregnancy. And not Mm. on the 40 or 80 years of a person's life after that. No, I mean, there is this misconception that the pro-lifers are only pro-birth, and that is absolutely not true. We want to uphold the sanctity of every life, which brings me back to this point, too. Um, the AP style book, if you look at the way that they define pro-life, they refer to us as anti-abortion, whereas they um, they describe pro-choicers as pro-abortion rights as opposed to abortion advocates. So they paint those who perpetuate abortion in this positive light, whereas those who uphold the sanctity of life in this negative light as anti-abortion. And while I'm certainly anti-abortion, I believe in the sanctity of every human life, especially definitely those in the womb. It's interesting. At CNN, we're we're discouraged from saying pro-life or Mm. pro-choice. People can describe themselves however they want, but Mm -hmm. for us, it's, it's abortion rights advocates. Right. There's other language right. around this to avoid pro-life and pro-choice as the two terms. And so, of course, mainstream media, if you will, is going to follow what the AP style book says. But I think that speaks all the more reason why shows like EWTM Pro-Life Weekly are so important so that we can give a voice to pro-lifers. The media went butt crazy over this abortion stuff. And then they went all in with PPFA and we'll document it. Nets devote over two hours to bashing extreme restricted pro-life bills. They never reported that Alabama actually sets the record for adoption for foster care. They never recorded Be My Voice, a Facebook group that's for African Americans. Black women's abortion ratio has reached 444 abortions per 1,000 live births, while non-Hispanic white women abortion ratio is 124 between, per 1,000.
They're killing black people. Then there's beautiful, from one of these events that are supposed to be women's rights, parasites don't have rights. Young girls, that's their sign. Parasites don't have rights. We talk about it in every podcast. How could you be so butthurt about everything on the planet, 95 pronouns and illegal immigrants, but you think that babies are parasites? Canadian cinemas have effectively banned Unplanned. They won't show it anywhere. And then another positive, because you notice these are not positives, but, you know, not the story. I wanted to get them up front. Benjamin Watson from the Patriots. Alyssa Milano to claim that giving more children of color the right to be born will negatively affect women of color reveals ignorance, racism, or some combination of both. Our children and families are capable of greatness, and lies like this harm our future. Don't patronize us. Because by the time we're done with this, the New York Times ran that. That it's safer to abort a baby than to have a baby. The media was so invested. Here is CNN bashing pro-life people. Four months ago, Democrats were on the defensive with Virginia and some of the comments of the governor down there and talking about uh, when life begins and potentially uh, aborting born babies. Now it's on completely the opposite foot. Republicans are completely on defensive. My question then was, if the Republicans saw this coming, and some of them did, uh, why did either leaders of the pro-life movement or the national Christian Christian conservative organizations who get politics, why in the White House political shop, pick up the phone and call the governor of Alabama Republican, governor of Missouri Republican, governor of Mississippi Republican, and say, please, and then somebody step up in the legislature and say, President Trump asked me to do this and amend the bill. That's not really how it works between the White House and these states. I'm from Alabama. I was there over the weekend. And this is something that is popular in parts of the state. Now, in some parts, they do believe it should include the exceptions for it. But you can see how this is playing out and how this is becoming a national issue. And you've seen a lot of national Republicans break with this. One of the things I've been struck by over the last couple weeks, particularly in the wake of some of these state-based laws, is it feels like the ground has shifted. After you had kind of the Virginia law and the dispute over that, uh, the Democrats now feel like they're on offense on this issue. Is that an accurate characterization of your view on things? Senator, do you have any concern when you look at the numbers where, where what you're talking about a Roe versus Wade, the, the majority of Americans are with you? When you're talking about access to abortion, particularly in the early uh, stages, the numbers are with you, but that later on uh, in, the, in, the birth pro- or, sorry, in the pregnancy process, Americans are, at least polling wise, get a little uneasy about the fact that Democrats might be willing to leave it entirely up to people, put no restrictions on whatsoever. Do you, do you have any concern about that at all? There are other infant care for a single child takes 11% of the family income. Uh, the right. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services said child care costs are unaffordable when they exceed 7%. That's 4% higher. The Pew Research says only half of Alabama's 67 counties, half of them have obstetricians. There are no maternity mm-hmm. leave, no family leave laws in Alabama. The CDC says Alabama has the highest state of infant mortality. It seems like there is a hypocrisy from Alabama that they're saying to women, we're going to take away your abortion rights, but we're not going to help you take care of your children. If they believe that 
a, that a life begins at heartbeat, at that point that that heartbeat is detected, should life insurance be available? Should uh, affordable uh, health care be available for that mother? These things are missing in Alabama. These are all incredibly important questions, and so these are specific things that we're addressing in Missouri. Uh, part of the legislation that was put forward in Missouri also allowed tax credits for pregnancy centers. I, I mentioned earlier that we had 80 different pregnancy centers around the entire state of Missouri, and so we're first and foremost addressing all of these different issues. There was a, a woman, uh, who's older now, who wrote a, an opinion piece in USA Today this week. She was 12 years old uh, when she was repeatedly raped and became pregnant. She is against this bill because she was saying, listen, at 12 years old, children should not be having children. To that you say what? Well, again, we're talking about a little innocent child who is inside the womb of But a 12-year-old uh, is also an innocent child. So here's the thing. Georgia has its own new anti-abortion law. The governor signed it into law earlier this month. It's set to take effect in January or on January 1st of next year. But opponents are already promising to challenge this in court. And a lot of people in the entertainment industry are threatening to just stop working on projects that are created in Georgia. Others are saying, listen, that might not be the best strategy. Molly Coffey, a film production designer in Atlanta, is one of those people. She joined a group of female film workers who wrote a petition on change.org. Um, and it says, the petition, the petition says, your con condemnation is understandable, but what we really need most is allies. Do you feel you're finding allies in Georgia and in Hollywood yet? We are. I mean, one of the big points that we wanted to make is let's ask the women of Georgia what they need because we were not a part of the conversation because it's very easy when voters feel very disenfranchised and we don't know where to put our energy to to make grand statements about how to make a difference but we just wanted the women of Georgia to be able to weigh in and have an opportunity to talk and it's been really great people have been actually excited to do that it's just helping people with their energy yeah I, I know that Hollywood argues look if we pull our films from this this is gonna make a difference this is gonna help women but you assert actually it, it kinda hurts us to yeah. some degree. I mean the women here have been fighting leading up to this so it, it's been something that we've been aware of for a while obviously it's in the headlines now for everyone else but you know it's something we've been fighting and putting those efforts forth and this is how we pay our bills and we own houses and we have kids in the school systems here and we want we are making a difference so abandoning those women to the state a lot of people don't have the privilege to chase the industry to the next incentive like we were born and raised here and we live here and we will probably stay working here and have to find new industries and you you actually wrote about that you said many of us made career choices that allowed us to stay here where we had built a community a family a home where women of all faiths and colors from all kinds of backgrounds were the backbone of this industry and we do not take what is happening here or around the country or around the world lightly giving up and moving would equate to giving up we're not quitters um, is it hard to draw that definitive line between listen we don't agree with what's happening but we don't want to abandon our state and we don't want you to abandon our, our state just to try to make a point we're not just bashing the GOP, just like with their Trump plan. We're going to bash the people that don't agree with us because we're no longer going to have any respect for other people's opinions. That's where the progressive movement is. But it wasn't just CNN. NBC and the rest just went full pro-abortion activists. MSDNC literally brought on PPFA 
and Mitchell brought it on and Matto, and they allowed her just to fucking outright lie. In other news across the country today, abortion rights advocates rallied to protest the wave of states passing strict new abortion limits in recent days. More than 400 events were planned at state houses and courthouses in all 50 states, from the steps of the Supreme Court to the capitals of the Midwest, the South, and the West Coast. Thousands of women and men saying they will take this issue to the ballot box. Eight states so far this year have passed laws severely limiting abortion rights. One of them is Mississippi, where today a federal judge appointed by President Obama criticized the so-called heartbeat law during a court hearing. The law bans abortion after six weeks and was passed by a Republican legislature and signed by the Republican governor. In Missouri, the state's Republican governor says he'll sign a similar bill this week. The same goes for Louisiana, but there the issue is bipartisan. Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards was elected on an anti-abortion rights platform. I've seen patients that are already scheduled for their procedures calling in, asking whether or not they're going to be able to access care. Katie Caldwell is the coordinator at an abortion clinic in New Orleans, one of three in Louisiana. You don't do a lot of interviews. No, I don't. Why? Um, Personal security reasons, but I think that now is kind of a tipping point. And so because I'm able to, I will visibly and vocally advocate for this. There's a large group of people in this country who believe life starts at conception and the taking of that life is murder. Mm -hmm. Why isn't that the case? That's a difficult question to answer. Everyone's entitled to their beliefs. They are not entitled to infringe upon other people's bodily autonomy. The fight over abortion fired up more than it has been in decades. Abortion rights activists organizing a nationwide day of protests on Tuesday after laws were introduced or passed in dozens of states restricting a woman's access to abortion. In Louisiana, a bill banning abortions as early as six weeks into pregnancy is just days away from a final vote. Calls from patients have spiked at this abortion clinic in New Orleans, one of three in Louisiana. People are very afraid. I've seen patients that are already scheduled for their procedures calling in, asking whether or not they're going to be able to access care, and the answer is absolutely yes. Has there ever been any violent act, any attack on your clinic? Absolutely, and on clinic staff. Despite that, with the state's fetal heartbeat bill likely to become law, she says the clinic will continue to serve women until it no longer can. Is part of what's going on here the creation of the expectation that only the most radical and draconian bans should fail, right? We've seen President Trump and other Republican anti-abortion, anti-abortion rights pro, uh, 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 politicians say, I'm pro-life, I'm against abortion, but there has to be exceptions for rape and incest. That's the only problem with the Alabama law. All of these other bans are fine. Is this is what's going on right now essentially an effort to try to redefine what counts as radical, as if any other abortion ban wouldn't be radical provided that it had a rape exception? That seems to be what President Trump is trying to do, but he is going to fail at it because the whole reason these unprecedented number of extreme bans are being introduced is because of Trump. It's because of Kavanaugh. It's because these anti-women's health politicians are emboldened in a way that they have not been before. And the American people see through it. We say to President Trump, if you want to make abortion access and women's health and rights an issue for the 2020 election, then bring it on because this is a winning issue for us and people are rising up all over the country to speak out against you. What do you see as the crisis now for Planned Parenthood and others who support the right to 
make the choice of having an abortion or making it a decision between a woman and her doctor. This is a very dangerous time for women's health in our country. Before Roe vs. Wade, thousands of people died every year because they didn't have access to safe legal abortion. And that could happen again because of these unprecedented number of bills that are aimed at one thing and one thing only, which is to ban all safe legal abortion and overturn Roe vs. Wade in this country. We need everyone to know that abortion is safe and still legal in all 50 states. Planned Parenthood is here to fight for our patients. We're here to serve our patients. And we will always fight to preserve health and rights for all. Um, Mara, there's a, a sort of an echo chamber among abortion rights activists. But what we're seeing is more and more states that are controlled with Republican governors, Republican legislatures, uh, and even Missouri, which has a Democratic governor, is going to sign this bill. No, that's right. I mean, what we're seeing is the fruit of a 30-year battle by far-right wing extremists, but also just by, you know, uh, anti-abortion activists to take over state legislatures. Democrats didn't really pay much attention. And I think that, um, unfortunately, this is kind of the result of that. And I think Democrats also didn't pay the same attention to the courts that uh, Republicans and, um, you know, folks on the, on the right did. And I think that this is this is now breaking out into the mainstream consciousness that this is actually a real um, this is really happening. This has been brought home in a visceral way. The bill in Alabama that passed last week was especially troubling. Not only are, is there interest in banning abortion, but these are direct attacks on women's health. And I think that is is not been actually a part a part of this conversation enough. It's not just abortion, although it is abortion that that's at stake. It's also a woman's ability to uh, go seek care after after a miscarriage, to go to a Planned Parenthood, um, to get checked for cervical cancer. Uh, these bills are not just anti-abortion; they're anti-women. And the, the Louisiana is also Dr. Wynn, another state. I misspoke. The Missouri governor is a Republican, but in Louisiana, it is a Democrat who's going to sign the bill. And these bills are much more restrictive, perhaps not as restrictive as Alabama, but much more restrictive than the incremental approach that we've seen uh, in recent years. And we know that this is in direct defiance to what the American people want. 73% of Americans support Roe versus Wade as the law of the land. And we're seeing today in our day of action all around the country in over 500 communities and 50 states, including D.C. and Puerto Rico, we're seeing people rise up all over to protect our fundamental health and our freedoms. And people are here to say that we understand what medicine and public health have been saying, which is abortion care is health care. Politicians have no role to play in the exam room. The personal health decision should be left to a woman in consultation with her doctor. Then we literally go the next angle. Chuck Todd and ABC. Well, we're going to do what progressives want. Story from Newsweek. Progressives want Democratic Party to purge remaining pro-lifers. They don't want them in. And Chuck Todd, in two separate interviews, literally sounds like he is the operative that he is, that his wife is, a major player in the Democratic Party, somebody who's invested in Democratic politics. No inkling 
of objectivity. So let's talk about the politics of this abortion story. Obviously, the president is going out of his way to just tout his pro-life bona fides on, on Twitter. But how does this issue cut for him? I mean, I know it helps with the base, but it, could it alienate some suburban women who he needs to win? Basically, abortion tends to work against whichever party is seen as more extreme on the issue. That's why you saw with the president back in the State of the Union address was trying to focus on the Democrats' support for late-term uh, abortions. That's where they want the focus to be. But this Alabama law, the Missouri law, these other laws, fetal heartbeat laws that have been passing in the South flip that equation because they don't have those exceptions, for example, for rape and incest, which most Americans completely disagree with. And you also have this issue uh, with abortion of be careful what you wish for. If indeed the Alabama law gets to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court decides to overturn Roe v. Wade, that is far more likely to energize Democratic voters next fall than Republicans. So the 2020 field on the Democratic side, obviously this week, Chuck, was quick to jump all over the law that was signed by the governor of Alabama, which makes no exception for rape or incest, the most restrictive abortion law in the country. Others rolled out in places like Kentucky and Missouri this week, Georgia with its heartbeat bill. Um, What's the impact here politically, Chuck? We can take abortion as as a debate on its own, but the politics of it, the Democrats are going to look at this issue and say, Alabama, that is the Republican Party right there. Well, I think what it means is that I think there are a lot of Democratic candidates who would prefer to be campaigning on other issues for president, uh, whether it's the economy, uh, education, health care, or just Trump. But I think what this means is they're going to have a lot of activists forcing this issue front and center, right and left. Let me just be blunt about this. Can the Democratic Party, at this point, considering what's at stake on the issue of Roe, can it still be comfortable using resources to help pro-life Democrats? Where are you on this? Uh, I think it's, re- it's really hard. And the, the good news, frankly, is that the vast majority, and I don't mean like 70% of the Democratic candidates or 80%, I'm talking 98% of right. the Democratic candidates are pro-choice. So this, this doesn't come up all that often. And Louisiana has been an outlier for years. Correct. Actually, I was just going to say. You guys never supported Mary Landry. You know, we did right. the first run, right. but then, and, but then did right. not. Uh, so that's exactly right. I mean, when, you know, we, we just proudly endorsed, Emily's List just proudly endorsed uh, Marie Newman uh, over Congressman, Democratic Congressman Dan Lipinski because he's an anti-choice uh, Democratic incumbent in Illinois. You know, and then folks were like, how many are there? And I'm like, well, actually, it's Dan well, Lipinski. And, and it does, I am in sort is of it one worth other. the I mean, fight inside the party to just, protect a Dan Lipinski or not? Well, the party's got to make that decision is the truth. But the good news is, like, we are winning. Democrats are winning on the issue of supporting Roe and ensuring that there's access to safe abortions in this country. I mean, we're with the, I always say this, we're with the majority. Seven out of ten Americans believe that Roe v. Wade should stand, mm-hmm. that women should have choices to say, to access safe abortion. Seven out of ten, this isn't even a close deal. And so we are in the right place. We're on the right issue here. And, and we just got to stay focused on this for women and the families and men who love them. <laughs> if you look at the sort of the last 20 years, yeah. the, 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 the right side of the abortion debate, the pro-life side of the abortion debate has been very aggressive in trying to pass laws to support their side of the issue. The pro-choice side almost sometimes runs away from codifying laws in states and, and instead plays defense. It's always defense. It does seem as if some 
you have some of the presidential candidates. Why don't you codify law, uh, Roe? And, and you've seen a couple states, you've, Virginia. That's right. Is the strategy changing? Is it, it, do you think you have to change your strategy and be more on offense on these laws? What they just did is they accidentally let the curtain move open so the rest of America can see exactly what the core of the Republican Party wants to do, which is completely ban abortion, uh, which is not where the American people are. Where Democrats get tripped up is they basically they get caught up on the late term issue, right, as, as, as some have outlined. But it does seem to me that, that the right is unabashed. They sort of plow right through it. it should Democrats push hard and say, look, what? If you think this is a, a, an issue that belongs between a woman and her doctor, then it doesn't matter how you personally feel. It's an issue between a woman and her doctor in week one of the pregnancy or week 32 of the pregnancy. You know, and well, and that's you know, we really believe that you know, Rose in place, no Rose takes you to, to 24, and that you know the the lies that have been going on about later abortions, uh, particularly perpetrated by the president of the United States, uh, has really just been outrageous. Do you want Roe completely overturned, or do you want it done in such a way where there is still a basic protection? I mean, you talked about a democratic process. It is some, nearly two to one in the exit poll in 2018 of folks favoring keeping Roe as is. The left is really laying down the line on this. They want to repeal the Hyde Amendment, make you pay for everybody's abortion. And if you don't want to do that, then you're a racist, which is in turn going back to why I started it with the ratio of it's two to one people of color babies being aborted by Planned Parenthood specifically who put their fucking clinics in black neighborhoods They want that. They want black babies dead. They want to codify Roe. They need abortion. It is outright gruesome. And it's not the worst. This is America. It's the worst thing on this subject from Gloria Allred. But this right here is every damn candidate, Biden, Booker, fucking uh, Gillibrand, Maisie Hirano literally brainwashing little girls. A Planned Parenthood rep saying things like that we need to have abortions for men. The whole trans thing. And every time somebody said, I am one of you. I am one of the one of four who have had an abortion. Woo! It's almost barbaric. from a public school in Hawaii and I told them I was coming to a rally in front of the Supreme Court and they said why and I said it's because we are we have to fight for abortion rights and they knew all about it and I asked the girls in that group of eighth graders how many of you girls think that government should be telling us women when and if we want to have babies not a single one of them raised their hands and then I said, you know, it's kind of hard for a woman to get pregnant without you guys. How many they got it? How many of you boys think that government should be telling girls and women when and if we're going to have babies? And not a single one of them raised their hand. Even though today we send you a message that abortion rights. 
guarantee that women can in fact make a choice between she and her doctor in circumstances laid out in row. It's guaranteed constitutionally now. And what this is all about is trying to make, get an appeal to the Supreme Court in the hope that the conservative justice the president has, has in sack put on the court, two of them. What would you say to taxpayers out there who say, look, I support everyone having their own freedoms, but that when it comes to my tax dollars, abortion isn't something that I want to support? I do not believe that that is a valid argument. I think that the Hyde Amendment should be repealed and that we actually need to make sure that women, regardless of their income level, have a basic right to reproductive care. It's about our humanity and it's about our basic civil rights. And so I will work to um, repeal the Hyde Amendment. I would also work to codify Roe v. Wade, and I would work to guarantee that no matter what state you live in, you will have access to a full range of reproductive services. So this is a coordinated attack in order to drive care underground, but also to force a national showdown in our Supreme Court about access to our constitutional and human rights. And it's not just an attack on women. It's an attack on anyone who can or might get pregnant, including transgender men and gender non-conforming people. Thank you, pro-choice advocates, men and women alike. Today, I'm here to say, you know me. I am one of the one in four women in this country who have had an abortion. Not only does Booker want to repeal the Hyde Amendment so yet that federally funded fucking abortions, which we already are doing with the morning after pill, he wants an office of reproductive freedom. Reproductive freedom. Then a late-term abortionist gets his op-ed, pregnancy is dangerous, abortion is life-saving. I'm not reading it. He is, it is such bullshit. It's not, it's not vetted in anything. What is vetted is stories like this. Baby born alive after botched 24-week abortion. Scream for an hour as doctors let the child to die. This was 2018 in Poland. That's real. Left it there. This is what these abortion doctors are doing. But he gets an article in the New York Times to say it's safer to kill your baby than to have the baby. When the death rate of mothers is like 0.7%. But the death rate for abortion is 100% of a human life. 
Fetus fixated, NPR lingos are, babies are not babies until they're born. Ramesh Panaru, a National Review, pointed out that NPR standards and practice guru Mark Memont is su- issued a new memo, a guidance reminder, instructing his taxpayer-funded staff how their language on abortion should not concede anything to anti-abortion groups. It isn't about objectivity, it's about using language to shift public opinion, according to NPR. Murmart is charged with cultivating an ethical culture throughout our news operation. Unbelievably, this memo summarizes we need to be precise, accurate, and neutral. It's fascinating that liberals who are so exquisitely sensitive about the dignity and humanity of a legal immigrant don't use that term, or that people denying their gender assigned at birth can see can so easily dehumanize babies with the term fetus, which we call the F-bomb of abortion terms. Here's the most unself-conscious propagandist portion of the memo. Babies are not babies until they are born. They're fetuses. Incorrecting calling a fetus a baby or the unborn is part of the strategy used by anti-abortion groups to shift language, legality, public opinion. Later on, abortion rights supporters, advocates, and abortion rights opponents. Not pro-life. Don't use it. And when they're not doing that, they're doing articles like this in the media. Anne Hathaway, pro-life white woman pushing for death of minority women. It's race. It's all about race. It's always about race. But it's words for them. Words. You use anti-abortion. They're the negative people. Don't call it a baby. Call it women's reproductive rights. Call it a fetus. Call it this. These are reporters who are just all in. Terry Moran. If pro-life is understood also to mean rates of maternal death, infant mortality, firearms death, child abuse and maltreatment, food insecurity, and access to medical care, Alabama, Georgia, and Missouri might not be considered pro-life. Power right now and for many years in the states rests squarely in the hands of politicians who proclaim themselves pro-life. They have clearly failed their people when it comes to moms dying in childbirth, babies dying young, kids killed by firearms. No proof. We don't put proof in any of this shit. That's a reporter. This is a feminist, anti-baby person. I feel Christians, many subconsciously, are pro-life because they're afraid of the second coming of Christ being aborted. Once the baby is born and isn't the Messiah, they could give two shits about it. It's frustrating having to put up with this comic book shit in real life. Jesus' second coming is going to be aborted. Do you see where they're at? Do you see where they're at? And this, my friends, is just one of about ten I could have played of protesters this week talking to pro-life people. Well, fucking leave it that you people think that you need your protection. You're wrong. You're wrong, and you're the wrong gender to be wrong. Okay. So, all right, pro-life Barbie, walk the fuck away. We're done. Exactly. Goodbye. What about Reverend Jesse Jackson? He's alive. And what the fuck? His mother made a choice. Did she have a choice? Bye, Barbie. Bye. History. So she should have had the choice to kill him. Fuck you. Fuck you. Let's stop. Fuck you. No, I don't want to talk because you're not. You've already done this. It's my turn now. Okay, I got this. Let's talk. Fuck you. 
When does the life Fuck begin? You. Fuck you! It's okay. Fuck it's you! Okay. Fuck you and the rest of you fucking ignorant bitches! And lastly, before we go to a music break and we finish up with Omar and some general stuff. Emily Robinson, look at this little baby, just nine weeks old, those tiny little hands, those tiny little fingers, that tiny little smile, that precious life. Now, I, I don't like when people show aborted babies, but this was a picture of an aborted baby. It looks like a human. It's not a parasite. But the pro-abortion people mocked it. Some said a nine-week-old baby isn't a nine-week-old baby until it comes out of the womb. But the rest were just making memes out of it and being pieces of shit. The difference between pro-life people and people who are for abortion is that pro-life people value the human life. When you think babies are clumps of cells and parasites, somehow you lost your humanity. And that our media is all in on infant side really makes me question where we're going as a society. Because as Maisie Hirano did, we're just brainwashing people. the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic booze there's a bar in far bombay come on and fly with me let's fly let's fly away religious fundamentalists are currently trying to manipulate state laws in order to impose their beliefs on an entire society. All with complete disregard for voices and the rights of American women. Their recent efforts, like those in Alabama, in Georgia, are only the latest in a long history of efforts to criminalize women's, women for simply existing. To punish us, when we don't conform to their attempts to control us. But because it's happening here with the support of the ultra-conservative religious right, we call it religious freedom. It's simply unthinkable. 
Let's just be honest. For the religious right, this isn't simply about their care or concern for life. If they cared about or were concerned about children, they would be concerned about the children that are being detained and those that are dying in camps across our borders. Or the children who are languishing in hunger and facing homelessness. This isn't about religious morality or conviction because we've seen time and time again those that talk about their faith and want to push policies because of their faith are the ones that simply are caught with the hypocrisy of not living it out in their personal lives. I am frustrated every single time I hear people speaking about their faith and pushing that onto other people. Because we know those so-called religious politicians, when it comes to their life, their choices, they want to talk about freedom. But when it comes to other people's lives and other people's choices, they want to talk about religion. So that's an anti-Semite sitting there in a hijab dogging Christians after she's dogged Jewish people repeatedly. I mean, are you serious? And so it is not that they might not be knowledgeable about this, but they use it as a tool to stir up hate and division. And ignorance really is pervasive in many parts of this country. Ignorance. Pervasive. I mean, what the fuck? How can this lady keep talking? My mother the other day said, I can't believe they're just not getting rid of her. Well, they're trying. Omar must go. Hundreds of Jews gathered to protest Ilian Omar. Hundreds of Jews gathered in Times Square in New York City on Monday evening to protest anti-Omar. They chanted, Omar must go, following the highly publicized allegations of Minnesotan Congressman anti-Semitism or statements downplaying 9-11. New York native and activist Joe Diamond organized a rally and billboard launch calling for her removal. The Jerusalem Post reported speakers at the event included former Democratic New York State Assemblyman Don Hinken, an award-winning advocate of Christian Zionism, Lori Cardoz Moore. In my lifetime, I cannot think of any other politician who presents a bigger threat to the alliance between the U.S., in Israel and to American Jews. This woman is an ardent anti-Semite and she doesn't even try to hide it. Ilian and her clique are well aware of what we are doing and we're not done. Everyone left really energized, ready to do whatever we must do next. We have to utilize every mechanism of media to wake up Americans about the vile hatred of this woman. Christians should also be alarmed. Omar is a huge threat to our national security. Omar has previously called for defunding everything. Everything. Every time she speaks, she spits hate like the fucking viper she is because she's an Islamist. You can call me Islamophobe. You can say whatever you want. I've said it before. I'm an Islamistophobe because I've met them. They want to kill you. This woman is horrible, and she is a direct reflection of Obama's immigration policies, where he shuttled all sorts of people into one area, 
so they could Rajni's pure on this shit and get pieces of shit like her elected. And the media doesn't even for a second stop and go, well, here's a devout Islamist who literally is wearing a hijab dogging other Christians. No, intersectionality. She's a black woman and she likes abortion. That's all they need to know. Then Tlaib Thread, a member of the Virginia legislator and former volunteer for Representative Tlaib, is connected to multiple anti-Semitic organizations and is the son of Hamas fundraiser. Brahim Samar described himself as the youngest Muslim lawmaker in America. His name might be familiar. He was in the news last week for claiming his father was attacked at town hall when asked how he planned to implement Sharia law. Samar is involved with several anti-Israeli causes, BDS, Students for Justice in Palestine, Jewish Voice for Peace. Despite not being Jewish, Samir takes credit for starting JVP chapter on his campus. He also encouraged this. Activists, please utilize a current hype for Palestinian rights to direct people to become more participated in the BDS movement. We are at a critical phase of divestment movement. Now is the best time to push it forward when Israel is most exposed. This article goes on and on to everything this guy is linked to and how it's linked to Talib. Samir connection to Talib is in his bio from AMP conference. He describes taking charge of voter mobilization. Yeah. They're bad people. Care! Report conflates anti-Muslim bigotry with opposition to radical Islamism. They put out a report. The media is using it. It's all false. Stats are wrong. Everything's bullshit. This bullshit. But what did the re- media report? Well, here's AOC. We're just trying to fucking pit people against each other because they're scared of us and talking about colonial fucking... Gardening? And that that lack of fear of fellowship is exactly what the opposition does fear. That and any time Rashida or Ilhan speak, they're scared too. (laughs) Myself included. Uh, And, you know, it is great that they got more than they bargained for. And I think that... Also, check this out. What are those, begonias? I don't know. What I love, too, is growing plants that are culturally familiar to the community is so important. If you look all the way back there, that looks like composting. It looks like they've got composting going on, which is so awesome, too, because composting is really hard to do in a neighborhood like this. We just don't have the the pickups and the ease of it that a lot of other communities have. So that's really how you do it right. That is such a core component of the Green New Deal is having all of these projects make sense in a cultural context. And it's an area that I and we get the most pushback on um, because people say, like, why do you need to do that? That's too hard. But when you really think about it, when someone says that it's too hard, to do a green space that grows yucca instead of, I don't know, cauliflower or something. Um, 
it you're what you're doing is that you're taking a colonial approach to environmentalism and that is why a lot of communities of color get resistant to certain environmentalist movements because they come with a colonial colonial lens on them and and it should be no surprise that um, that sometimes a lot of these projects some don't work out occasionally because our communities are naturally in tune to live in an environmentally conscious way. You know, a lot of us are one or two generations removed from living off the land. My family in, in Puerto Rico, in many ways, lives off the land. But um, if I went to a predominantly white community and said, okay, you guys are going to be growing plantains and yuca and all these things that you don't know how to cook, it's and that your palate isn't accustomed to, it's gonna be like cute for a little bit, but it's not easy. It, you need to make it as easy as possible to kind of just flow into these communities and to make it work. So the way that you do this right is that you don't kind of come into a community and impose what you think is right. That is what so many community development projects get wrong, whether it's housing, whether it's envir environmental projects. What you need to do is plug in and find leaders in these communities and support them. And also just like pay attention to when they're speaking about these things. Uh, because so often they'll be saying these things forever and they just go on deaf ears. And then when someone brings it up, from a different community, that's like the first time it's acknowledged when so many people have been talking about this for a long time. So that's a huge element to all of this. I threw the gardening in because it, it was part of hers, but Carol Markowitz just rem reminded that Sarah Palin never actually said she could see Russia from her house, but AOC did actually say that growing cauliflower was colonial. That fucking twit. Hasidic teens harassed with calls of Ali Akbar and We Love Hitler as they walked away from their place of worship in New York City. Doesn't make a report because remember, New York Times, it's local. Islamic man arrested for threats to blow up Trump Tower, Israeli embassy, DOJ says. 20-year-old man, will not be named by the Daily Wire, was arrested Wednesday morning, attempting to provide material support to a mosque, lying on his application to enlist in the U.S. Army, a general douchebag, and you didn't hear about it because it's Trump and shit. I mean, fuck, if somebody threatened Obama, it was front-page news. Austria, photos of Holocaust survivors defaced in Vienna. ISIS fanatics depict Big Ben on fire as chilling posters warn of London attacks soon and show knife-wielding suicide bombers in New York. And then the Atlantic, a liberal leg, rag, sounds the alarm about Middle East Christians. Permanent displacement. The precarious state of Christianity in Iraq is tragic on its own term. The world may soon witness the permanent displacement of an ancient religion and ancient people. And we've talked about it on this show, but the media never fucking talks about it. Never pushes it. Because they don't care about Christians. 
And this week, while we're sitting here, we're talking about abortion, the media's amped up. They're all wearing the PPFA lapel pins. Here's some outright anti-Semitism at a NYU graduation. Many of us have been together at Occupy Wall Street and at Black Lives Matter protests and at marches against that fascist in the White House that would not allow 56 different countries to cross borders and be together in a setting like this. I hope you'll join the NYU uh, 2019 PhD Facebook book uh, group that I started so that we can support each other in the years to come. And I am so proud, so proud of NYU's chapters of Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voices for Peace and of GSOC and of the NYU student government and of my colleagues in the Department of Social and Cultural Analysis for supporting the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement against the apartheid state government in Israel. Because this is what we are called to do. This is our NYU legacy. That we are connected in radical love. And we have a duty and a privilege in this position to protect not the most popular amongst us, but the most vulnerable amongst us on every campus where we serve, in every community, where we live, in every place that we work. This is our duty. And we must stand together to vanquish racism and Islamophobia and anti-Semitism and injustice and attacks on women and attacks on abortion rights in Tel Aviv and Shanghai and Abu Dhabi, New York City, Atlanta, Washington, Los Angeles, San Francisco and everywhere in the world. An NBC News exclusive and inside look at Gaza and a rare interview this morning with the leader of an armed militant group there. And he has a direct message for the president. On this trip into Gaza, we were able to secure a rare interview with the leader of a group called Islamic Jihad. Now, it was not without risks. Islamic Jihad is described by the U.S. as a terrorist organization. It wants to wipe out Israel. The armed militant group Islamic Jihad has been supported by the Iranians for decades. One of its leaders agreeing to an interview. And he has a message for President Trump. I'm sorry to say that he's a thug man. A thug. Thug president. Uh, a thug the, president. A thug president of the United States of America. President Trump, America, many European countries, many countries around the world would say that you are a thug, describe you as a terrorist. I am. A Palestinian people under occupation, Israeli's occupation. Second soundbite was an actual terrorist that NBC gave airtime to. But that was NYU. Graduation. That didn't make the air. And then the second one, Khalid al-Bat, one of the leaders of Palestinian terrorist organization Islamic Jihad. During the exchange, al-Bat was provided with a media megaphone to smear Trump as a thug and denounce Israel occupation. An NBC News exclusive, an inside look at Gaza, and a rare interview morning with the leader of an armed militia group, Savannah Guthrie. On this trip into Gaza, we were able to secure a rare interview with a jihadic, I mean, Islamic Jihad. We love those guys, those poor Palestinians. Ellen Shanzer sums up, at least we have hope. I have decided to withdraw for NYU beginning in the fall of 2019. This decision is made with real sadness, as I was very excited to apply early decision to NYU and have looked forward to attending for many years. My family has a long connection to NYU, going back to my great-grandfather, Martin Bernstein, who founded the Department of Music and was a professor 
for decades. Notably, when my grandparents passed, they asked that their ashes be put in Washington Square Park on NYU. Unfortunately, it appears NYU, my family is known, is changing. It's now become clear that, to me that as a Jew, if I were attending NYU, I would be affiliating myself with an institution that accommodates faculty members and students organizations that are dedicated to anti-Semitic ideology. Some on your campus differentiate between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. However, I'm not one of those people. This age-old hatred of my people wears different disguises and different generations. But its root objective is always the same. um, I will not stand by as it is allowed to take form at NYU and will certainly not attend an institution where my core beliefs and very existence is being threatened, respectively, ending Ellen Shazner. It was tweeted by Melissa Weiss, who goes through everything we've already covered, all the protesters, all the bullshit that's going on. Family lineage. Because that institution is outright anti-Semitic, and so is most of the left. Here's some general hate to get off the two heavy subjects. Colbert with Reagan in hell. Yeah. A TV show, Fuck Christians. Amazon series Fleabag features priests fucking somebody in the confessional. Jeff Daniel, Trump people are evil. And Julia Margulis, I have nightmares about Trump. You know, if you wanted to compliment me, you could have just done it on the phone. The Republican Party plan is very simple. Make the wealthy wealthier. Of course, the non-wealthy known is but also know that resistance is futile. If the generously provide a vent for their anger, it might issues like immigrants and welfare queens. Well, influence government to shape the economy to their will. But this has a need for influence the government is not comforting. The final causes of desperately wishing you to do. So it's before you Sorry, all I heard was the word meat. Stop placing the deplorables and get back to business as usual. Still only hearing meat. Forget it. I'll put it in an email. Um. Hmm? Well, hello, Mr. Trump. Hollywood starlet Ronald Reagan? Wow! So this is heaven. You had a 50-50 shot, but uh, no. Listen to me, Donald. Everyone's been telling you the Republican Party has two horses and you need to ride them both. But the party is actually one horse with two different heads. What's the uh, penis situation? For decades, the buttoned-up good Republican presidents have enacted modern history's grossest policies. The war on drugs, ending welfare, a couple of Iraq wars, and ignoring the AIDS crisis. That last one was you. In a way, they were all me. And I'm not ashamed of it either. See, an inner grossness connects all Republicans, even you. Now go, Donald. Be the grossest Republican you can be. Oh, and one more thing. Yes, sir? 
AIDS isn't real. I'm sorry you got dealt these cards. What do you mean? Oh, everything worked out with your, your dad, Harrison. Yeah, I miss him a lot. He did his best by you. I feel like there's something you're not saying. I do wish she had lived in accordance with God's word. Do you mean that he was gay? God made the rules, and our only choice is to, to follow or not follow. Do you think my dad is in hell? I, it breaks my heart. Get out, now. Jira, look, I, I know this is hard for you to hear. Get out of my father's home. What are you doing here? My aunt's place is around the block. I'm just getting a feel for the neighborhood again. Are you following me? No. I mean, I may have heard that you were out walking for Tia. Thought maybe I'd try my luck. Didn't want to show up at your house after last time. I have nothing to say to you. Look, I'm grateful that you grew up loved and cared for. I'm grateful to know you now. We have so much to offer each other. We're blood. I am who I am because of my father. I'm your father, too. I want to be. Then you need to accept them and love them for who they are. That's what it takes to know me. I believe what I believe. Oh, my God. Go back to Indiana. You're my daughter, Jira. It's right that we know each other. And I'm not going to give up. The show is a stunning reminder that our hearts can be moved and our minds opened by a simple story about one man doing the right thing and conducting himself as though all of our children are watching. To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway now is as relevant today as it was when it was written and as important during this moment of turmoil as ever. To Kill a Mockingbird has been nominated for nine Tonys and just recently broke the record for the highest grossing American play in history. The children are watching and, and I live in Michigan and... Um... After the election, I was surprised at some of the people. You know, I said, can you believe this election? They go, yeah, isn't it great? And you're going, whoa. My wife's on Facebook, and these go, oh, we got another Trumper. You know, and it's just, you didn't see it coming. Atticus goes through this. I know these people. They're, they're good people. There's, 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 and there are reasons why. And he's an apologist. He's an enabler. And I think there are people in the Midwest between the coasts who don't pretend, who don't know anything about, who don't care about this, who don't have time for this, who have to make a decision now. You have to decide whether, like Atticus, you believe that there is still compassion, decency, civility, respect for others, do unto others. Remember that? Do unto others. All that stuff you guys believe in, and you still voted not for Hillary or for Trump. Where are you now? Because you the, everybody, because your kids are looking up at you, going. But he lies. And, and I think there are a lot of people in the Midwest who are going, it might be enough for them. We're going to find out if, it, you know, if the big gamble is to go all the way to November 2020, which I agree, and lose, it's the end of democracy. But at the end of the day, aside from, yeah, I don't want to pay taxes, it's race. It's race. This is about, this is about the Republican Party or a wing of it going, this is our last chance to save the party. 
And if we don't, it's the end of the Republican Party. And the only way they can do that was to tap the race button and say, go ahead, it's okay. And he did. And they did. And that was the only card they had left to play, and they played it. And they aren't going to go quietly. And that's why you look at the cowardice of the 15 or so Republicans in the Senate who are still quiet. Courage is standing up and being a true patriot like we used to have way back in 1776 and all of that. as many shows would be able to do that under Obama or the next Democratic president? You think any of that would be okay? Anybody? And the constant Trump people. Well, here is the non-Trump people. Buffy Star, we're getting death threats for pro-Trump play. Yeah. They're making a play about Zork and Page in a one-night dramatic stage reading that received at least one death threat. Buffy star Christy Swanson will star on June 13th in the Studio Theater in D.C. with Dean Kane and FBI Lovebirds Undercovers, which will feature them simply reading anti-Trump text messages the two FBI employees sent to each other. She revealed that someone on Twitter posted a death threat, have a capital steps open, lock the doors, set the theater on fire. Yeah. yeah. Multiple death threats. We have done Julius Caesar where Trump is getting killed. Did they get death threats? People got up and walked out because they didn't know. But it's their hate. They hate other Americans who don't think like them. Political reporter Sally Goldberg. Observations from Iowa. It's very flat. Driving is monotonous. There's more unbuilt land in one block than New York City has an entire borough. Dirty dirt roads are terrifying. No one carries almond milk. And caucus goers are extremely well informed, she added. And happy, and I will never be so happy to step onto a subway again. David Burge just dogged her. Iowa should change the state motto to monotonously terrifying dirt road blocks. Next time I go to New York, I'm going to try to describe some of them. They're cement people barns. Dirt roads, blocks. Next time I go to New York, I'm going to try to describe some of them. They're cement people bars. Oh my God, I feel like Armstrong. I guess being called extremely well-informed is a compliment, but it's sort of like being told you're very handsome by the elephant man. I guess being called extremely well-informed is... Also, a compliment from you, a person that's so much better than us in Iowa. That's a fucking reporter. That's a reporter. He broke down all the shit she has done. It's all negative. Cannes film features Melania lookalike holding Trump's severed head. Poster, picture, soundbite, when women rule the world's the name of it. 
That that's an actual fucking thing. That's an actual thing. Another severed Trump head. But you know, it's us. It's us people that don't want to kill babies. We're the pieces of shit. Then AOC comes back into our general and dogs Christians. Abortion bans are just about controlling women. They are about controlling women's sexuality, owning women. From limiting birth control to banning comprehensive sex ed, U.S. religious fundamentalists are working hard to outlaw sex that falls outside their theology. Usury, high interest, happens to be explicitly denounced in the Bible and in many other religions. Looking forward to having the religious right uphold their principles and sign on to my bill. Unless, of course, they're only invoking religion to punish women and queer people. And they go through and find out that's not in the Bible. It's all bullshit. So, yeah. You have the media. You have movies. You have people threatening. You have politicians. You Christians are pieces of shit. And then you have Democratic representatives saying people at the border are being killed on purpose. With five kids that have died, 5,000 separated from their families, I feel like, and the evidence... Um, is really clear that this is intentional. It's intentional. It's a policy choice being made on purpose by this administration, and it's cruel and inhumane. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield that's, back. That's, that's an appalling accusation, and our men and women fight hard to protect people in our custody every single day. We've asked for this resources three weeks ago. It hasn't been responded to by Congress, and we've asked for changes in authorities for the last three years that would have prevented this from happening. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan was grilled by House Democrats on Capitol Hill today. There was this tense exchange with Illinois Democrat Lauren Underwood on conditions at migrant facilities. People keep dying, and so this is obviously more than a question of resources. At this point, with five kids that have died, 5,000 separated from their families, I feel like, and the evidence um, is really clear, that this is intentional. It's intentional. It's a policy choice being made on purpose by this administration, and it's cruel and inhumane. That's an appalling accusation, and our men and women fight hard to protect people in our custody every single day. One of the reasons we're just hearing about this child's death from 2018 is that government agencies like Border Patrol and ICE do not have to publicly report a child migrant's death. They just have to report them internally into local child agencies. Understand that piece of shit Lauren Underwood has asked for that record to be scrubbed because she realized what she said. But AOC, yesterday GOP moved to silence Lauren Underwood's word because she had the audacity to say the obvious and stealing children away from the parents, trafficking and caging them without end is intended to do harm. They tried to silence her, make her back down. She didn't. Be proud of what you said. That didn't make the media as a big deal. Ryan Savander sums it up. The things that is reported, Trump gets two scoops of ice cream, everyone else gets one. The shape of Trump's genitals, how many Diet Cokes Trump drinks daily. Things they won't report. An alleged illegal alien serial killer was charged with murdering 12 elderly women in Dallas, maybe up to 100, is not on their website ever. Nor was illegals arrested 30, ICE arrested 33 illegal aliens ranging from drunk drivers to white beaters in four days across Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Louisiana. They didn't report MS-13 gang member convicted of killing man because Peyton Manning jersey. New York Post, which has been close tracking MS-13, Jose Suarez, an associate of the sailors clicked as accused of being the getaway driver in a cold-blooded January 29th killing of Esteban Alvarado Bonilla at a Long Island deli. 
the only way he could rise up the rank was to commit outrageous act of violence. Uh, they come in there, uh, him and his associates marked this person for death, the victim, because he was wearing a Manning number 18 jersey and was suspected of being part of the rival 18th Street gang. Then we have a study, Harvard-Harris, media hiding the facts of the ongoing immigration crisis. Most Americans widely underestimate the number of illegal aliens entering the United States each month, and one reason could be the news media reluctance to disclose the statistics. ABC, CBS, and NBC Evening News broadcast January 1st through May 15th of this year found a total of 234 stories that talked about illegal immigration, but less than one-tenth of those, 22 or 9%, actually informed viewers about the dramatic increase rate of illegal crossings. Apprehensions at the U.S. border have surpassed 100,000 per month. And that's why they get their polls and everybody opposes it because they don't want to put up the real thing. Because if they did, well, damn, we'd have to fucking actually do our job. Yeah. We'd have to have ice. We'd have to fucking stop people because people would find out, oh, my God, there's hundreds of thousands of people trying to get in the goddamn country. We got no room for them. To transgender shit, Rosedale Center, Minnesota, having a family drag queen competition. Yeah. At the mall in the Twin Cities. That's just fantastic. Then this statistic, 27% of California teens are gender nonconforming. A new study, California Youth, found that more than one in four teens say their classmates view them as resistance-dominant forms of gender expression, according to a new study out of UCLA. The brainwashing is working. Are you happy, liberals? Then we find articles in the USA Today from May. How many transgender kids grew up to stay trans? The National Post recently covered that CBC's cancellation of BBC documentary about transgender children, blah, 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 blah. In that coverage, the Post shared claims made by some activists criticizing some scientific studies, but did not apparently fact-check those claims, so I thought it was outlined the studies here. For reference, in a previous post, I listed the results of every study that ever followed up with transgender kids and how they felt as adults. There are 12 such studies in all, and they all came to the very same conclusion. The majority of kids cease to feel transgender when they get older. The Post conveyed criticism alleged about two of those. One study of Dutch children in particular assumed that subjects had desisted purely because they stopped showing up to the clinic. Although the unnamed, the claim appeared to be referring to Steeman et al. 2013, which followed up on 127 kids. Of them, 47 said they were still transgender. The rest said they were no longer transgender. This breaks down every study that's ever done, and it's clearly obvious it's still 80 to 95%. But once again, why do I cover this? Because every fucking time you push the drugs, you're sterilizing kids. So now a quarter of California kids because of the progressive politics, are confused about their gender and are having reassignment surgeries? Are you serious? 
Really. And to close out our general, now de Blasio is eating a, leading a boycott against McDonald's because they won't pay people $15 an hour. And it got released this week that somehow the people that are in charge up in the corporate office make a lot of money. And not one media source decided to do their job and say, well, these are franchise. So actually it's not McDonald's that owns it. And these people pay the people that they can do to keep the fucking building open. So look for McDonald's sales to increase. We're going to go into some fun shit now because we're over our time. But I'm trying to speed this up and get it to a shorter podcast. And my son sent me a video. I'm going to play a little bit of it. It's a review of the fast. And I thought it was really cool. This is Zach in Tennessee. Because I've watched this guy and he is such a super goob. And we played it on the fucking show and it's literally just the geekiest shit I've ever seen. Ever. Because he opens up the accessory packets and the whole nine yards. It's just crazy. But before I do it, a um, really funny article I found about the top five meals ready to eat. And under this duffel bag blog, or the duffel blog, which is a uh, basically very um, sarcastic site... They reviewed chili macaroni and everything, and I thought I'd read that first, which is really funny. Like, we would include this classic still alive and kicking after all these years. Chili Mac may be the perfect MRE, although its cousin, Cheese Tortellini, is very well balanced. The meat in the Chili Mac is a grab bag of beef, horse, emu, buffalo, esalot, and Scott Tennerman's parents. The macaroni noodles are yeasty and require a suspicious amount of chewing. The pound cake is reminiscent of drywall with hints of office chair padding. DIY Gatorade tastes like Mountain Dew and asparagus pee. <laughs> it provides a quick energy boost, which will allow you to continue jerking off in the Porta Johns while you peek at Sergeant Tamazarian doing CrossFit in her sports bra. I like to crumble the crackers into my chili mac and eat it all together. The only big drawback to this menu is a licorice candy, which this critic despises, but you can usually trade them for more crackers to go with your cheese spread. They have a picture before beef ravioli, and it's uh, people in a mess hall eating MREs. These must be pogues, I'm assuming. Why do these assholes have fresh fruit on the table? Don't they know the only thing worth eating in life comes in a sealed brown bag with diarrhea-inducing sustenance? Which I thought was fucking funny. So the beef ravioli, uh, the pasta curls resemble the ears of dead gooks my Vietnam vet uncle kept in a sack in his footlocker. They taste exactly the same, too. Don't judge me. Have you ever eaten pho? You know what you're eating. Ear soup, so climb down off your high horse, asshole. They contain a beef-like substance which has been infused with the sweat from a Hungarian sweat cocks, sweat sock, excuse me. The corn nuts have a delightful hint of chode. The dried fruit responds sullen in your mouth like a flaccid dong and makes you wonder what kind of nursing home diaper-wearing idiot thinks dried fruit is appetizing. The roofing shingle that DLA calls wheat snack bread is very useful for plugging holes in your sappy plates. <laughs> Those are armored plates. And tests have shown this will actually increase structural integrity. The only downside here is that there are no crackers to accommodate the cheese spread, so you have to trade with somebody for crackers. 
Hope you save some Skittles. Next one, pork sausage and cream gravy. Upon close inspection of these congealed cream gravy, I discovered that it was indeed solidified whale semen. The sausage is only pork of pig's evolved tentacles, while I wasn't paying attention. The granola emitted a transcendent aroma of gangrenous almond and pine needles. The chocolate banana nut muffin top was a sad reminder for me that my wife has yet to lose the baby weight. Oh, that's mean. From our teenage daughter. Yet I'm an asshole if I comment on her weight. The menu secured its place in our top five because of the crackers and cheese spread. Honestly, I don't know what DLA considers any of the side items pairings. You can't top perfection. And best of all, the crackers are not vegetable crackers, whatever that means. Literally, the only way to make this menu better would be to include the bacon cheese spread instead of a normal unbacon cheese spread. Is unbacon a word? Fuck you in the mouth it is now. <laughs> I know, some of you are like, this is not funny, Tony, it's vulgar, but this is army eater. They then have a picture of somebody opening up an MRE with a knife, and it says, Some meals are so dangerous to human beings' digestive systems that the Pentagon recommends wearing gloves and having a knife on hand at all times in case you need to kill the alien that pops out of your stomach before he murders your entire platoon. And they introduce number two, pork rib. This hunk of conglagulated offal mashed into shape of a graphic calculator is sure to offer your taste buds luminescent treasures. <laughs> wrote this shit. They're just crazy. I had this meal five days ago. My butthole still does not have the exit strategy. <laughs> I believe the idea is to put the pork rib patty in between the two pieces of wheat snack bread, which, by the way, are also handy to shelter under in case of a sudden monsoon. You garnish this abomination with the barbecue sauce and have yourself, in essence, a Ranger McRib. Magnificent. But it leaves us without a dry carb to use with the other side items, namely the peanut butter, which displays intriguingly non-Newtonian fluid tendencies, and the jelly-slash-jam of a flavor that cannot be articulated in language without clicks and whistles. So once again, you need to fucking trade somebody for crackers. The last picture is a bunch of people grabbing MREs, and it says, Marines look through the MRE box, trying desperately to find the meal that will send them to the head of the fastest. Plot twist. It's all of them. Number one, buffalo chicken. Uh, Let's see. A classic for 2012, our current favorite, not least because my old headquarters platoon sergeant used to call it Bubbleguts Chicken which is pretty good for bubblegum, because it gave him terrible gas. The chicken itself is not bad, tasting like a tangy mix between used zentai and infected foot blisters. The rice is good enough, although the beans look more like benign polyps removed from Ronald Reagan's colon. The turkey nuggets are sure to be a hit, at a haunted house when you want to simulate shrunken testicles. It's true, man. Those turkey nuggets... I bought a case of new MREs to take on the road because my grandkids like them. And we're going to eat them uh, for lunch on the days we're driving. 
I gave it to my dog, and I think he thought it was a toy. He started hitting it around. I mean, he couldn't bite the fucking thing, uh, the little Bijan Frise. Continuing on, and I've never felt more patriotic than eating the patriotic cookies. Make sure you drink the mocha cappuccino while you smoke a Miami brand cigarette to achieve the true gastric zenith. <laughs> Only downside is accessory packet B, which does not include coffee. How am I supposed to stay awake on watch if I can't shove those grounds in my lip like snuff? And I can't figure out what the fuck I'm supposed to do with these tortillas. Whip them at my Mexican combo sergeant, maybe. <laughs> All right, my fun's over. That's Duffel Blake blog. If you're ever bored, go to Duffel Blog and just crack the fuck up. Here's an MRE review brought to you by Zach in Tennessee. It'll be short because it's a very long. This dude literally takes this on for like 20 fucking minutes. This is the U.S. First Strike Ration, or the FSR. It's a compact, on-the-go, 24-hour assault ration used during the first few days of high-intensity combat missions. It takes up only about half the space and weight of three standard U.S. MREs. These three MREs weigh 4 pounds, 12.3 ounces, or 2,161 grams and they contain about 3,800 to 3,900 calories. This thing weighs 2 pounds, 12 ounces, or 1,244 grams, and it contains 2,900 calories. The first strike ration comes 9 to a case, and that case weighs 29 pounds, and it requires little to no prep time for its components. So let's check it out. This one was packed the 57th day of 2019, Barbecue pork filled wrap and garlic and herb chicken. Menu number six. Okay, so right off the bat, a Bridgeford apple turnover. Oh, nice. An apple cinnamon flavored first drake energy bar. That was packed January 14th of this year, 2019. Yeah, a shelf-stable bagel. Nice little list of ingredients. Microcrystalline cellulose. Cheddar cheese pretzels. Strawberry banana dairy shake powder. These things used to have 6 grams of trans fat in them. Now, no trans fat. Here's a Ziploc baggie for... For storing any loose components or trash. Wow, that's pretty dense. Smoked turkey nuggets. Here's your accessory packet. Beverage base powder orange. Fully cooked filled wrap. Shelf stable seasoned pork with barbecue sauce. We'll see how it's looking. Oh, nice. Caffeinated chocolate pudding. 32 grams of sugar. Chicken breast filet garlic. 
37th day of 2019. Again, it's just, it's amazing to get any ration this fresh. Osmotic cranberries, just a, another name for some dried cranberries. A mocha dessert bar. And then another accessory packet. So then the one pack, again, it's just three wet naps, matches, cinnamon, chewing gum, salt, toilet paper. There you go. But then the other pack, you get five pieces of military energy gum, 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece, Arctic mint flavor. Some cheese spread in a one ounce pack. They reduced it from an ounce and a half down to one ounce. And it seems to be like that in the, the MRE as well. That's kind of a shame, but it allows for maybe a couple smaller components and more menu variation than some hot sauce. So there's everything for about 2,900 calories of food. That is quite the variety. So let's first start off with breakfast. Okay, and for breakfast, we're going to be starting the day off right with a strawberry banana dairy shake, an apple turnover, smoked turkey nuggets, a cheese spread to go along with that shelf-stable bagel, and a pack of military energy gum. All right, so let's get sat on your tray. Nice, okay, so let's first start off with that strawberry banana dairy shake. Hmm, that's a pretty inviting artificial strawberry and banana smell. Calls for six ounces. Thanks, Zach. That's pretty cool, though. And once again, those are the uh, 24-hour meals. You got two main meals in there and a bunch of accessories and bars. And, you know, it took them forever to think this up. It kind of reminds me of the Lerps. It's very small. The Lerps were like a big bag of yak, and you put some water to rehydrate it, and then like a John Wayne bar or some kind of protein bar of the time. And you would get full, but it was small, so you could pack it. So for these 24-hour rations, you know, if I would have gone into Operation Anaconda, say, I went in with three days of food. So that's two MREs. We used to break them open, tape them together, get rid of all the bullshit, to make it thin, but that's still four, you know, six MREs I gotta cram in a rucksack. With this, I can cram three MREs. So, great concept. Some quick hits to end it out. The Army's uh, light vehicles, we've been covering it, but the Polaris Dagor, which is a souped up version of what you have on your ranch, is actually in, in the running, which kind of surprised me. There's even pictures of, um, uh, sling loads with UH-60s, because it's pretty light. Um, then that piece of shit, John Walker Lind, he's getting released early, and nobody seems to care. He's only serving 17 of 20 years, and I say that fuckhead should have been shot in the face. Some quick shit to go off uh, the media, how they portrayed it. Uh, Terry Moran back in 2011. Controversy growing after government reports, or t- 2001, excuse me, about found Lynn continued to advocate for global jihad and made pro-ISIS statements behind bars. 
Uh, House Secretary Ari Fleischer, John Walker now being in custody, U.S. custody for more than a week and interrogated pretty regularly. As an American citizen, he has constitutional right and that he's facing some various criminal charges. Um, on the CBS Evening News, Chief Justice and Homeland Security Correspondent Jeff Pegg, this was during 2001, played a soundbite of Allison Spann, the daughter of CIA officer who apprehended Lynn. Uh, we... Lynn in 2001 who decried his release saying we still feel that he is radicalized and that releasing him in our public is a danger yet in late January 2002 CBS spoke with Canadian writer Robert Young Pelton who argued that Lynn should have been doing poetry reading instead of serving jail time I met many fighters in my different wars and the thing that strikes me is their certain coldness and certain attitude they have this guy struck me as a guy who should be doing poetry. Outside a broadcast network at the time, Helen Thomas of Hearst newspaper pressed Fleischer in December of 2001, are we so primitive that we should ship this man in a box, deny him legal rights, deny him the right to see a lawyer, deny him the right to see his parents? I mean, is that American? America? In January 2002, Keith Oberman was off the rail suggesting that those criticizing the lawyers representing Lynn and other terrorists were the greater threat than the terrorists themselves. The then CNN host even went so far as to suggest that U.S. was detaining terrorists the same way FDR detained Japanese. So I didn't want to get off that to real, make you realize they love this guy. They think what we did was wrong, but the problem is, is he still thinks he's a man. If somehow he could be like Bradley Chelsea Manning, he would get first place billing with these fucktards. Want to do a quick hit on All in the Family. Um, I watched it with my wife, and I got to admit, it was pretty fucking good. But the starting was fucking horrible, and... I'm going to play this soundbite from Jimmy Kimmel. This Norman Lear guy said, it's still the same because we're all fucking racist. And then I'll go in what they did in the show because they did the exact script from the 70s to counter their stupidity that the American people are still racist pieces of shit. When I was watching a run-through of the Jeffersons, I heard a dialogue that I couldn't believe came out of the 1970s because it could be the language of today. I was talking to my friend Justin Thoreau about All in the Family and what a great show it is and how really groundbreaking the show was. And I thought, you know what? They do these live musicals on television. Why not? take a television show and put it on television and do it live and i called norman lear and he thought it was a great idea and here we are so we are doing an episode of all in the family and an episode of the jeffersons live these shows are even more relevant now than they were people forget that they were controversial and maybe if we had social media back then these shows wouldn't have survived or maybe they would have been even bigger than they were i hope they will look at this and say holy shit. 
they don't have to use that language, but this is really what is happening in our country. This cast, I, I think, is unprecedented. The first person Norman Lear mentioned to me was Woody Harrelson. He said, I would love Woody Harrelson to play Archie Bunker. I thought that was just such an interesting choice. And he said yes immediately. Then I asked Jamie Foxx to play George Jefferson, and he said yes immediately. And then I really knew I had something. So as Edith, we have Marissa Tomei. As Louise, we have Wanda Sykes. Will Ferrell and Kerry Washington are playing Helen and Tom Willis. It really is crazy when you have something great, how quickly people will agree to be a part of it. Now, during the show, the funny was, you know, um, Jamie Foxx fucking up, which I thought was really good. They, they nailed all the characters. I mean, we really enjoyed it. But the politics of it was so fucking bullshit. And they're trying to equate that we're living in the same thing with Nixon as Trump and yada yada. But in the original script, they said the N-word. And they did a after show on it where Kerry Washington, we really commiserated whether we should do it. So we said the word and beeped it. Now, oh, you're advocating to use the N-word? Fuck no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, hey, if America's so fucking ass backwards, we don't say the N-word now. We don't put it in our TV shows. It's not part of our vernacular. So how are we so fucked up? And secondly, if the popular shows in the 70s and 80s and 90s were African-American centric, you see the circular logic in this? I know you liberals at the time were pushing to get equality and all that stuff because you thought America's horrible just like you do now. But the Cosbys, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Jefferson's, Good Times. I grew up with those shows. We weren't watching it like, look at them black people. They were funny. We didn't see it as other than just fucking people. But everything's got to be political. So you took something and started it, Norman Lear and Jimmy fucking Conscience of America Kimmel, and you fucked it up. So that was my point of covering it. Really great. It's supposed to air again tonight. Um, So if you didn't watch it, watch it. It was really funny. I mean, uh, Woody Harrelson and Marissa Tomei just fucking nail Archie Bunker and Edith Bunker. They just nail it. It Wow. And Jamie Foxx, he did all the head and everything. I mean, it it was spot on. Something that pissed me off, the healthy dog was euthanized because the deceased owner put it in their will. And I am still pissed off about that because, you know, that's just fucking wrong. I wanted to get that in, not push it off the next podcast. So, this wasn't in, so technically I'm done other than this is America. So, we're pretty close to the two hour. I'm getting there. But this came out yesterday, and it went fucking crazy. So, I'm going to play the initial sound. It was a tweet by Trump. And folks, this is not doctored. This is the actual speech. This piece of fucking Botox Pelosi did. We had a little, a long, a little longer on the floor. Custody, custody of the border, border. 
everyone he started making sending signals the U.S., Mexico, Canada. If that's not the accurate character, some people call it after NAFTA. Some call it NAFTA 2.0. Working together to, to uh, make pass that. Not uh, if we where where the fat. There are three things. There are three things. There are three things. There are three things. We're very busy people. So once again, not doctor. That's how she talks. They were showing other stuff all day yesterday. Her and Schumer. We came blah, blah, blah. I literally was like, man, is her face so jacked up that she can't speak? Because I couldn't understand her. And then I have a video of all these media people going, this is doctored. They doctored the video. I can't believe they doctored the video. 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 Oh, fuck it. I'm going to play it. And then when I wake up this morning, Twitter moment, Facebook won't delete it with Anderson Cooper going off on a Facebook rep on how doctored videos are evil to society and Pelosi is a goddess and oh my god. These are doctored. We, we say a doctored video. That doctored video not being an issue. The fact that it's a doctored video is exactly the issue. One more time, the president sending out an edited video that's simply not true of the Speaker of the House. Say retweeted a misleadingly edited video of Nancy Pelosi, edited to highlight and exaggerate stuttering. Another fake video is also circling, uh, circulating online. It's been slowed down to make Pelosi appear incoherent, ill, perhaps drunk. The video is fake. It's manipulated. Numerous audio and video experts and fact-checking organizations have confirmed that. But that video in particular has been viewed by millions of people on Facebook. And in fact, it's still up on Facebook, even though Facebook knows it's fake. They've added comments from independent fact-checkers to inform people who watch it and have made it less prominent, but it is still up there. Now, YouTube took it down, but it's still up on Twitter. They're not even commenting about it. Facebook, however, was uh, good enough to provide us with a spokesperson. She's Monica Bickert, the company's vice president for global policy management. I spoke to her just a short time ago. So, Monica, in the wake of the 2016 election, obviously, Facebook has repeatedly told Congress, the American people, that you're serious about fighting disinformation and fake news. Yet this doctored video that I think your own fact checkers acknowledge is doctored of Speaker Pelosi remains on your platform. Why? Well, you know, first off, I think the suggestion there is that we haven't taken action, and that's not right. We have acted. Anybody who is seeing this video in newsfeed, anyone who is going to share it to somebody else, anybody who has shared it in the past, they are being alerted that this video is false. And this is part of the way that we deal with misinformation. We work with internationally certified fact-checking organizations that are independent from Facebook, and we think these are the right organizations to be making decisions about whether something is true or false. And as soon as we get, and we did in this case, as soon as we get a rating from them that content is false, then we dramatically reduce the distribution of that content and we let people know that it's false so they can make an informed choice. Well, why keep it up then? Yeah. 
We think it's important for people to make their own informed choice about what to believe. Our job is to make sure that we are getting them accurate information. And that's why we work with more than 50 fact-checking organizations around the world. If there were misinformation that was, let's say, tied to an ongoing riot or the threat of some physical violence somewhere in the world, we would work with safety organizations on the ground to confirm falsity and the link to violence, and then we actually would remove that misinformation. So but misinformation that, here, that doesn't promote violence but misinformation that, you know, portrays the third most powerful, you know, politician uh, in, in the country as a drunk or somehow impaired, that's fine. No, what's important to us is making sure that people have the accurate information to make their own choice. But it's not accurate And I think if you look right now at the, we are telling people that this is false. Right, and but, we but are you're not, putting that but, information but video out there is powerful our than your, Right, but the video is powerful, more powerful than whatever you're putting under the video. Well, actually, what we're seeing is that the conversation on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, offline as well, is about this video having been manipulated. I mean, as evidenced by you know, my appearance today, this is the conversation. The conversation is not about people believing this video. It's that they are discussing the fact that it was manipulated. And that's the conversation that people should be having. You have no problem removing 3.39 uh, billion fake Facebook accounts from October through March. So why is it okay for you to remove fake Facebook accounts, but it's not okay to remove a clearly fake video? Because we're focused, when we look at our community standards, those are about keeping the community safe. Well, fake well, how, accounts, how are fake, yes, Facebook fake accounts, accounts do engage. Fake accounts, we do see that fake accounts engage in safety violations more than accounts that are real. 3.39 billion of them fake are, accounts, are promoting violence? I mean, you, it's a fundamental, right. no, that's not what I said. It's a fundamental rule when you come to Facebook, you have to use your real identity. That's always been our rule. And we do see that accounts that are fake are engaged in uh, safety violations more than authentic accounts. Right. And by the way, and this, this is probably not shocking, fake accounts are also more likely to distribute misinformation or fake news. And so part of our effort to combat misinformation, it's not just about uh, working with third-party fact-checkers. When we remove fake accounts, we are also reducing the chance that uh, these accounts would be sharing misinformation. And I would point out that this is working. If you have the scale, though, to be able to remove over the course of six months 3.39 billion fake accounts, and you have the scale to remove I think ID, you ID'd 80 in that six month period, 83 percent of accounts that or comments that were selling drugs or doing something uh, illegal or promoting something illegal. You certainly have the scale to decide something that, that you know is clearly fake. It's not even a question. I, I guess I still just don't logically understand. I understand you, it's a it's a big business to get into of trying to figure out what's true or not. but. You're making money by being in the news business. If you can't do it well, shouldn't you just get out of the news business? Look, I, I reject the notion that we're not doing a lot to counter misinformation. No, I didn't we say are. you're not doing a lot. So, I'm just saying if you are, you are in this particular case uh, spreading and allowing the spread of a clearly false doctored video, again, you're in the news business. There's a responsibility that comes with that, uh, and this is... This isn't even a question. We aren't in the news business. We are in the social media business. Well, you people are in the news business. Facebook to share. The reason you're sharing news is because you make money from it. It keeps people watching you and more involved in your site, which I get, and that's fair. 
But if you're in the news business, which you are, you got to do it right. And this is false information you are spreading. We have a site where people can come and share what they think, what's important to them, the news that they find relevant. And when they do that, we want to make sure that they have access to accurate information. If there is a threat of safety, if we're talking about terror propaganda, that's something where we can actually assess that on its face and say, yes, this is terror propaganda and we can pull it down. When you're talking so about political discourse, and, political and again, if it's misinformation that is related to safety, uh-huh. okay. if it's misinformation that's related to safety, we can and we do remove it. And we work with safety groups to do that. But when we're talking about political discourse and, the, and misinformation around that, we think the right approach is to let people make an informed choice. So if somebody makes a video of President Trump and slows it down and makes it seem like he's drunk, which he's never had a drink in his life, uh, that's okay with you. If that, if that video is on and it makes people believe that the commander in chief is impaired with alcohol, that's okay on Facebook? No, again, I, I want to be really clear here because the, the suggestion here is that we're not acting. No, no. Would you we take that acting. down? Would you take down that video of the president of the United States that's been slowed down and manipulated by Russia, say, to make it look like he's drunk and impaired? We would remove content that's created by fake accounts. We would remove misinformation that's created by fake accounts. We would also remove misinformation if it is related to a threat of safety on the grounds. When it comes to so if a Russian other types individual, of misinformation, we work with the fact-checking networks, right. and then we put that information proactively in front of people so they can make their own decisions. So if it's a real person, not a fake account, which I know you're concerned about fake accounts because that gets the legitimacy of Facebook, but if it's actually just a real account, but it's somebody just doing that, they're not doing it even to make money, they're just putting it out there, uh, that, that video would stay up on Facebook. Look, we're, we have rolled out over the past few years all sorts of products and tools okay. to allow people to have more transparency into the information yes or, they're you, seeing. You can't say yes or no. And that, well, because it, it really, the answer is, if there is something that is being shared by somebody who is an inauthentic actor, we would remove it. If it is tied right. to violence on the ground, but, we would remove it. And okay. there's a whole lot of other things that, hold on, there's a whole lot of other things that we're doing to make sure that we are not remotely in the same place where we were in 2016. I appreciate you being on. I, we, uh, no, we, we, we care yeah. a lot about getting this right, and we're happy, to, we're happy to share what we're doing. Monica Biggert, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's Cooper going on for eight fucking minutes. That's all the networks. Doctor, 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 doctored. They won't remove it. A doctored view of video. Stephen Miller, here's a video of Trump slowed down, slurring his words to make him appear drunk. It was over 394,000 views and zero requests for journalists to remove. Here's Jimmy Kimmel promoting another video from a show. Another zero fact checks and hyperventilating from journalists. People know what you're trying to do. It's going... It, it's so weird how Facebook police swore this was just going to be in about Info, InfoWars videos. If journalists see a video they know is fake on Facebook, it's their job to write a piece on their platform saying it's fake. With evidence from people Google and read themselves, not advocate content removal from other websites. I'm sorry, Jimmy Kimmel is the national's conscience, so it's the same fucking thing. And he's right. He's totally right. He's 100% right. Nobody cared when it's Trump. Nobody cared. I, I searched and then I got tired of searching. Uh, folks, 
Do you remember all the montages? When I started my podcast, there were NBC montages of Bush butchering shit. You didn't care. You didn't give a fuck. You never care. But every time the left gets caught or gets the same treatment you give other people that have R's behind their name, it's doctored. From Project Veritas, doctored. Uh, Obama saying stuff, doctored. It doesn't matter. You have no problem when it's the right. You have no problem when somebody says something jacked up on the left. Oh, they just misspoke. When Trump says it, oh, it's the fucking end of days. And they spend all this time on a doctored video when this week, or this is America, Gloria Allred said the following thing at a protest, and all I heard was crickets. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing the liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. The victims are the women and the girls who have to get a back alley abortion and who are going to be left to die. It was our women's Vietnam. More women died or were maimed before Roe v. Wade by illegal abortions than men ever died in Vietnam. We thank our brave men for their sacrifices. We can never thank them enough. But we also were hurt by these laws which forced us into no-win situations. That is just fucking horrible. Just fucking horrible. Unbeknownst to you, unbeknownst to you, I opened the abortion clock webpage when I started this podcast. And just since I opened the page, 11,550 babies were killed worldwide. 11,550 babies were killed worldwide. Let that sit in. Today, in the United States, 2,500. 2,500, just in the United States, of the 11,000. I don't know what to say. That's point A. Point B, they're only documenting about 100 cases of backyard frickin' or back alley abortions that actually killed people. But the most important point, how disrespectful are you of veterans to say Roe v. Wade ended the Vietnam War for women? Back in the day, I could understand when birth control was new. But even then, that statement is so fucking horrific. And no, we're talking about doctored videos. How bad pro-life people are. How they want to take all the rights away from women. 
Jesus fucking Christ, man. What the fuck is wrong with you people? I mean, seriously. What is wrong with you? That you think a baby's a fucking parasite? That you think abortion is part of the Constitution? Infant side is normal? I mean, I know we've been hammering it. I mean, numbers on the podcast are down. I know it's boring, but this is what our media is pushing. It's not me pushing it. I'm not starting every podcast. I want people not to have abortions. I never even said that. I don't give a fuck. It's between you and God. But we shouldn't have to pay for them. We should have restrictions. Because we're a civil society that values life. If you don't value life, go live in China. If you don't value life, go to the Middle East. But America, we value life. It's not even religious-based. But that's what they go after, you Christian pieces of fucking shit. Like Omar did on our very podcast today. It's you terrible Christians. No, that's not it. Sure, the preponderance of pro-life people are Christians or Catholics, or religious of some sort. But there's a shitload of people that, A, that's not the reason. It's not my reason. It has nothing to do with God. I keep it totally secular. It's principle. We have birth control. If you choose not to use it, well then, you have 20 weeks to figure that shit out. 20 weeks. It's no longer a fetus. It's no longer a clump of cells. It's a fucking baby that can live. So make your decision and get your abortion. But don't expect the rest of the world to embrace your morals. And that's what this is about. This is a culture war. Bill O'Reilly might be a piece of shit, but he nailed it the best. It's a culture war. They want their culture to be the only culture that is in America. The rest of you shut your fucking mouths. That's not how America works. We don't get the TV to be able to talk. That's why I do a podcast. But there's more of us than them. The numbers are not with the Chuck Todds. Unfettered abortion until goddamn college. That's not a thing. Just not. And once again, I wouldn't even talk about this abortion thing, but that's all our media pushed this week. I could have made this seven hours of sound bites. Non-stop attack of people based on their beliefs. When the inverse is inappropriate. If Fox News lined up a bunch of pro-lifers and they talked all day, Mediate, which is Dan Abrams shit, would lose their fucking mind. I didn't make the time. Uh, I apologize for that. I really tried. We're going to shoot for a 28 May podcast. I then hit the road. We're going to have a 5 June podcast, hopefully with the grandkids. I hit the road the 10th. I'll be back by the 14th or 15th. So my intent is to have a 16 June. So we're talking 28th. Five, take a whole week break, Sunday the 16th podcast, and then we're going to do Friday podcasts. If I can get more than that, I'm going to try, but we're probably going to be going with, uh, she goes under the night, the 18th, I won't be home until the 20th, so uh, 21st, 28th, 
and then back to two. That's kind of the plan. Friday podcast on the 24th of June, Friday podcast on the 28th of June, and then start a -a two-a-week podcast once we hit July, because that's about two weeks of recovery time, and I could be next door um, done. I've done some pre-preps and built a, got a huge gate to uh, it's like five feet tall gate to divide off the hallway so the dogs can't get them. So I can go back to my podcast room. She can be in her bedroom safe and I can pause and, and understand during those, you know, there'll be a walkie talkie on and we're going to actually literally, you know, Hey, I got to take a break. I'll get the wife. I'm just going to not edit it out. It's part of the deal. I got, I got to take care of my baby. So, uh, we're going to go with the 28th. Hopefully that one will make the two hour limit. And this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments or suggestions to foppodcast at gmail.com. Foppodcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the fa- Facebook page at Fop Podcast and our Twitter page at Fop Tony Reed. I hope you all have a great Sunday. And as always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.